honored to be before you today. If I haven't met you yet, um, um, my name is Jay Will. I'm the church plant and resident here. Um, and like Nate said, we'll be starting our new sermon series in the book of Amos, and a sermon, and a sermon series called Justice and Worship. Uh, I want to take this moment. It's been a pretty heavy week uh, for me, just seeing things in the news, and uh, one of my favorite actors passed away this week. It's just been a very heavy week for me, and I wanted to uh, kind of start this sermon off in a, a way that a lot of African-American traditional churches do. Uh, they actually start the sermon off with a, with a little bit of singing, uh, and the singing is kind of a prayer for the Word, and I'm going to ask my brother Wayne if he'll come up and get on the keys for me. He done did this enough. He understands. He, uh, he's did this gr- growing up his whole life. Um, but I'm going to sing a, just a couple uh, words from the song, I Need Thee, if you won't mind. See, he knows what he's doing. I need thee. sing that one more time. That is my heart's cry this morning. I need you. I need you. We need you this morning. We need you every hour. We need you to illuminate your word, to show us your truth, to stand proud, stand up from your throne and just throw away around the weight of your glory, Father. I pray today that you meet us here that your spirit move today and that you open the hearts of your people to show off your magnificent glory. In a season of so many struggles and burdens and pains, Father, I pray today that your word speaks to the bad news, but it helps us to celebrate the good news. In your precious son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank y'all for letting me do that. 
Uh, if you know anything about me by this, by this time, you know I love movies. I mean, you've got to know this by now. I've, I've already talked to y'all about Show Enough. We talked about Black Panther. And today I get to talk about another one of my favorite movies. Um, this movie is actually a movie that was a remake of another uh, it was an interpretive remake of another classic movie called The Wizard of Oz. And The Wizard of Oz is good. It's a nice, wholesome family. But see, my favorite movie is made by Motown Records. It's called The Wiz. <laughs> you know, The Wiz, you got Micah Jackson. You, you got Diana Ross. You got Richard Pryor. And you have this crazy old lady named Maybelle King playing the Wicked Witch of the West. For those who may have not seen the movie yet, let me show you a picture of the Wicked Witch of the West so you know this is a real thing. <laughs> this was one of my favorite characters because some days as a grumpy old man, she says the same thing I say. Don't nobody tell me no bad news. She, uh, it's kind of funny, she had a sweatshop and she was forcing labor on her workers and she would wake up in the morning and she said, don't nobody tell me no bad news. Matter of fact, listen to these opening lyrics. When I wake up in the afternoon, which it pleases me to do, don't nobody tell me no bad news. Cause I wake up already negative and I've wired up my fuse. So don't nobody tell me no bad news. She lived a lavish and comfortable life, yet she was blind to almost the slave labor she put on some of the members from Oz. She didn't want nobody to tell her anything that would possibly affect her comforts, would possibly uh, affect her life. She didn't want to hear no bad news. And if we could be honest, we can relate. None of us like to hear bad news. I mean, bad news is not something people wake up and say, what's going wrong today? Uh, but in the words of the great late R.C. Sproul, he says, you see, the good news is only good news and we understand the bad news. Today, as we're starting our sermon series in the book of Amos, um, Amos is coming to a people who also don't want to hear any bad news. They, they have rejected the prophets like Nate told you, and they're living lavish and they're comfortably, they're comfortable, so they said, nah, we're good, we don't want to hear no bad news. Now, I do want to put this disclaimer up here, because uh, Amos is a pretty political book at times. It talks about justice a lot, uh, and it talks about worship. We didn't start this sermon series as a response to things happening in our, in our nation today, or in our world today. Actually, we was oblivious to this will be where we were at this point. We've been preparing this sermon series for almost two years. Actually, a year before I got here, James was already talking about he wanted to preach Amos in the near future. And then back in December, we started saying, okay, we're going to do it. And then in February, we started preparing the sermon series. And then we find ourselves in August, and it looks like the world fell apart. But I think that was the providence of God. That was truly the providence of God. Uh, and he knew where we would be. 
We didn't know where we would be, but he knew where we would be, and he obviously knew we needed to address the bad news of our time. So, before we jump into Amos, I do want to give us a backstory, a little bit back history, because prophetic books, since they're very figurative, and they got a lot of poetry, and they got a lot of images and symbolism, um, unless you know what's happening and how we got to this point, you wouldn't really understand what is he even talking about? So before we can get to Amos, which is based in around the 8th century, we got to go back to almost the mid-7th century to see how do we get to this point. Um, like Nate said, King David was the shepherd who was reigning over Israel. It was a, 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 a country that was flourishing, and it just had high hopes for the future. Well, then his son, in the mid-7th century, Solomon becomes the king. And we see Solomon do something pretty foolish. In 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 9 through 13, we see Solomon rebel against God. And this is what it says uh, in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 9 through 13. It says, the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned away from the Lord. The God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning the, the Lord's command... Uh, I'm sorry, who had appeared to him twice and commanded him concerning the things that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes, I have commanded you. I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Now his servant was this man named Jeroboam. Jeroboam had been running with Solomon since his, well, he'd been running with David, and then he was one of Solomon's most trusted right-hand men. He said, I will give it to your servant. But then he made a promise, even though he just said, I'm gonna tear the nation from you. He said, yet for the sake of David, your father, I will not, do it in your days, but I will tear it out of your, the hands of your son. However, I will not tear away all of the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. So we see Solomon, this is where the rupture kind of starts that leads us to where Amos is. Solomon went after idol gods, and God was upset. So he said, judgment is coming. What's interesting is we don't see Solomon repent. Solomon would not address his idolatry. Then we go over to chapter 12 of 1 Kings, and, the, and, and then Solomon has died. His son Rehoboam becomes king, and Rehoboam is a terrible king. He is oppressing the people and does not take the advice of a wise counsel of his elders. But Jeroboam... Uh, doesn't listen to his constituents. He continued to oppress them and beat them down, and they're crying out. I mean, excuse me, Rehoboam, he, he's oppressing them, and he's beating them down, and he, they're crying out, and they're like, he's like, ah, make their work even harder. So Rehoboam was unjust to his citizens, but Jeroboam, Solomon's right-hand man, rises up and says, wait, Rehoboam, these are your people. They're crying on your behalf. Like I said, Rehoboam doesn't, doesn't listen. 
So consequently, the nations are divided and because Jeroboam had rose up to kind of fight on behalf of the people, the nations followed him and Rehoboam was just left with Judah. So now we have the nations ripped apart and Israel is following Jeroboam and Judah is the only nation left to Rehoboam. So again, just like his father who wouldn't admit or accept his idolatry, we see Rehoboam wouldn't admit how unjust he was to his citizens. And now, Jeroboam has the great opportunity of being a good king for this nation, right? What does he do? After He's afraid of losing power. So in 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 27 through 31, it says, If this people go up to offer in the temple of the Lord Jerusalem, which is located in Judah, then the heart of the people will turn again to their Lord, to Rehoboam, king of, the Lord, uh, king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to the king, Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king took counsel and made two calves for, of gold. And he said to, to the people, you have gone to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods. O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt? And he set, them, set one in Bethel, and he set the other in, a, and, and he, the other he put in Dan. Then this thing became a sin, for the people went as far as Dan to be before them. He also made temples in high places and pointed priests from among all the people who were not of the Levites. This is how the nation divides. Solomon would not accept or admit his idolatry. His son Rehoboam oppresses the people and beat down on the people. And then Jeroboam, afraid of losing power, runs to idol gods. It's a bunch of people who didn't want to accept the bad news, the bad news of what they were doing. And the symptoms just keep repeating itself through 1 Kings all the way through 2 Kings to where we find ourselves today. And uh, this time, this is almost 150 years later, and Jeroboam, the son of... The son of uh, the son of, I got it in my notes one moment. Excuse me, Jeroboam, uh, the son of Joash, which is the great-great-grandson of the original Jeroboam, is on the throne in northern Israel. And Uzziah, who which is actually a pretty good king for most of his life until he rebels against God and gets leprosy, he's sitting on the throne. And we find ourselves in Amos chapter 1 the 8th century. And it, said, it reads, the words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. So this is how we kind of gauge what's happening and where they are in the time in history. We see who's on the throne, we see on both nations, and we see there's a this is like two years before this great earthquake that's kind of mentioned throughout history in the Old Testament, but we don't really know when it is. But we can come to, uh, we can come to agree that it is central in about the 8th century. And this man uh, who never really identified himself as Amos, 
His name kind of carries through this whole book is he's his, his burden or burden one. Now, most scholars agree he's pro- his name was probably Amos, but it's kind of interesting that his name meant burden, and he was a shepherd of all people, coming to a people who didn't want to hear bad news, a stiff-necked people who kept telling the Lord, we don't want to hear it, we're doing good. And he come from this small town, Tekoa, located in Judah, near Judah, as Nate said earlier. And shepherds would consider a lower class job, even though Amos might have had a little money. They, they use a unique word that's not really found too much in the Bible, as he's not just a sheep, a shepherd, but he's a sheep herder or a sheep breeder, which means he owned the sheep. And it, he says later in chapter 7 that he also was a farmer of figs. And he envisioned visions. He came declaring, the Lord Yahweh. I want to point this out. When he says the Lord Yahweh, that is a big sign that the big God, the God of all gods, is raging war. He's speaking right now. He came declaring, Yahweh is right and roaring from his rightful throne in Jerusalem trying to get their attention. Literally saying to North Israel, the Lord is trying to get your attention. He is starting to declare a battle cry because you're not listening. Now, Israel at this time was doing pretty good. They were flourishing. Business was up, you know. Everything was good. Kind of the commerce was coming to them. They were doing good. So why would God be roaring? And why would he send a shepherd of all people? Well, in chapter 7, verse 14 through 16, it kind of tells us our answer. Jump over to chapter 7, verse 14 through 16. He says, Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore trees. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said, go prophesy to my people Israel. And this verse 16 is very telling of what's happening during this time. He said, now therefore hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel, and do not preach against the house of Isaac. The reason that Amos was literally brought to Israel is because they continue to refuse to hear the bad news that they have turned to idols. They have turned to follow these foreign gods and they have abusing their citizens and their neighbors. They continue to refuse to listen to the bad news. It's kind of like, like, I love Nate used so many of my illustrations, but it's kind of like going to the doctor and finding out you have cancer but you don't want to listen to the doctor. So God, in his irony in a sense, says since you don't want to hear the professionals say you have this diagnosis, let me send the farmer in. Maybe you'll listen to the farmer and he wants to give you this diagnosis that you have this cancer that's spreading and it's affecting you and it's killing you, death is coming. What is this diagnosis that Amos is trying to get their attention? What he's trying to tell the people? Well, the diagnosis is you have cancerous sin 
and you refuse to repent and address it, you continue to run to other things and other objects to try to address the sin that you continue to fall into. Yet you won't look to me. So the Lord is roaring to get their attention, saying, I need you to address this. I, and this is the sad thing. He was talking to them, but I think the Lord is still roaring truly today, saying, church, I need you to address this. You see, I hate to be the burden of, the bear, bear burden, the burden bearer of bad news, but you see, this cancerous disease is still very much present today in our church. This cancer is still spreading, and it's affecting everything. James chapter 1, verse 14 through 15, it says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desires, when it conceives, give birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Many of us today, church, and the body of Christ have been enticed during this season. Worrying about COVID-19, we see racial tension, we see political campaigns, and there's so many other things I can point to, to look to, but we're looking at everything else, but we refuse to address the issue and look towards God. How do I know we're not looking towards God. Well, I follow many of you on social media. And many of y'all follow me on social media, and I'm as guilty as this as possible. When we, you see what we're arguing over. We're arguing over who we're voting for. Black lives matter. Blue lives matter. All lives matter. And then we're using words and throwing around like Marxism and social justice. We're looking to all these things to address the woes of our world today, and yet they're failing. And then we're putting other things in place, thinking those will address the evils of today, yet they're failing. Politics will not address the woes of our world. Policies won't address the woes of our world. Just getting together and singing kumbaya was not addressed the worlds of our worlds, yet we're bickering and it never stops. That's idolatry. This is how I know it's idolatry because it's starting to affect our actual affections. It's calling us to look at everything else yet worship God. If you don't believe me, read a headline and see how your heart responds. See how you feel after you read that headline or see that news article or see somebody arguing against a news article you agree with. Also, another sign of idolatry is look at the things you refuse to acknowledge. Are you simply right off because it doesn't affect you? Christian Gray is a Christian rapper. He had this beautiful song uh, called Good Samaritan. He said, blood in the streets, you turn blind eyes. Is it murder if we watch them die? Blood's on our hands, yet we don't know why. We turn blind eyes till we're in the fight. 
And that's where we are right now. We continue to turn blind eyes and not respond. We compromise and we're complacent to the issues of today. So we're either worshiping the issues of the day or we're, comp- we're compromised and we're complacent to the issues of the day. Both sides of idolatry. The Christian who should be the biggest advocate for justice have fallen asleep on the job and now the culture is dictating what we should do. See, these are the symptoms of our sin and it's being shown as what we have affections for. If it's being shown by what we really get riled up over. And just like those people to that day, since they wouldn't listen to the doctor, the Lord said a shepherd. He sent a shepherd. And today, I want y'all to know, even though I just gave you all the bad news, the Lord has also sent a shepherd today. The Lord has sent a shepherd to get God's attention because of their cancerous sins, and it was turning termin- it was going terminal, and without an in- intervention, it would lead to death. You see, we have a good shepherd who also came to us, and he saw our sin. He saw this cancer that was spreading, and it was about to lead us to a terminal situation, yet he said, no, I'm going to take it and I'm going to make you whole. John chapter 10, verse 11 says, this is Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Literally saying, I'm not going to just tell you the issue, but I'm going to take on the issue and fight it on your behalf. You don't have to be stuck in this cancerous situation. You don't have to carry the burden on you because I'll take the burden on me. I'm the good shepherd. If you acknowledge the diagnosis that we have turned our affections away, if we acknowledge the bad news that we are looking to other things to deliver, if we just acknowledge it, he said, bring it to me, I'll take it. I'll take it on myself. And today, I'm telling you, acknowledge in your heart during this series, if there's things that come up and you're offended by, before you send an email, and I'm encouraging you can email, it's okay, but before you send an email, take time to acknowledge, why am I offended? What's going on in my heart? What's drawing my affections and my attention away that I can't go to God with it first? I look to this thing and I want to fight on its behalf. What's going on in me? And this is a great time actually for you to discuss that, to discuss that in your small groups. Kind of to unearth maybe some of these idols that's holding us in place and telling us it will deliver. This is a great time to talk about it in small groups. Now I give you the freedom if we say anything offensive for the sake of being offensive, please reach out to us. We're not perfect. We're not the good shepherds. We're just under shepherds trying to shepherd God's people well. So this is what you do. Maybe this is the time for you and someone in your small group to have hard conversations and to address your hearts. And maybe this is the time as Christians for you to step up and say, there's some evils in our city that needs addressing. As we've been uh, working on planting this church in Eau Claire, uh, one of the evils we saw that we found out there was like 30 people sleeping on the floor 
every day because their apartment complex wasn't taken care of. We had the opportunity as a church to step into there and say, no, we need to address this evil. And we did a mattress drive, and we got some beds for these people. We actually got over the amount of beds we needed. We got 50 for the 30. But we didn't just leave it at we're going to address their physical need, but we said, no, now we need to fight the systematic need. Why is this neighborhood not taking care of the needs of their people? See, this is an opportunity for you to say, what do I need to address in my own heart, but what do I need to address that's going on in our world? And when we do that, the world looks at us. All of a sudden, their attention, which they are also running after so many idols and worshiping so many things, all of a sudden they're looking and saying, wait, you're different. Why are you doing this? What's keeping you focused on this? And we've been given this task. Hear this from Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 through 17. But thanks be to God, who is Christ always led us in triumphal procession, and through us spread the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ God, Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, to the other, a fragrance from, to, from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men sincere, of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. This is what we've been called to do, to literally be those who've been brought out of death and brought to life, be the fragrance of, from, of death to death and life to life, calling others to life, telling them to focus so we can reflect and show them the rightful one. Look, church, the bad news is it's sin in the world. And this book is going to reveal so much sin in this world. But it's also going to point straight back to God's people and say, now there's sin in my house. And you I've put my name on. It shouldn't be so. Here's the good news. When we address that, we literally reflect back true worship to God for all to see. So let me land a plane here. I'm going to give you a sticky note. Hopefully, this will help you remember some of the stuff I said today. My sticky note says, rightfully focused worship is reflected in just practice. Rightfully reflected worship, rightly focused worship is reflected in just practice. When we have become centered in our focus on serving God as he calls us to serve, loving God as he calls us to love him, we'll rightfully practice justice to our neighbors. We'll rightfully address the evils of our world. But it starts in the church. And through this sermon series of worship and justice, it's going to be a reoccurring theme that you are my people. You should act like my people. And for those who may not be his people yet, I want you to know there's a day of judgment coming, and he's going to do away with all sin, yet he's calling you and saying, you can be one of my people. You can address the bad news that you've been worshiping idols for so long, and you can run to me 
and I will make you right before me and make you live righteously before man. Today is today. Hear this bad news, but don't leave burdened by this bad news, but believe rejoicing because you have been receivers of the good news. Hear that today. I'm going to lead us in a time of kind of repenting of some of the idols maybe in our heart. I want to, I'm going to lead us in prayer, but I want us to really take time and say, what have I been looking to to deliver in this season? Whether it's been politics, the news, health and wellness, whatever, what have I been looking to that's going to deliver in this season? And I want you to repent and bring it before God. And say, God, no, I want to practice worship truly to you and love my neighbor like my own self. Let us pray. Father, during this season, our hearts have been thrown to and fro. We have looked to so many other saviors, yet you say, I am am right here, come to me. Father, I repent of the days when I argue with people because my focus isn't on you. When I look at the injustice of our neighborhoods and in our city, and I say, well, it doesn't affect me. I repent, Father. You don't call me just to worship on Sunday, but to live righteously through the week and to practice my worship through my justice for my neighbors. Father, we come before you as a church saying we repent of idolatry. We repent of things that have drawn us away from you. And we pray that you help us to refocus and recenter on you. Meet us here today, God. And for those who are not your people yet, I pray that they see that you are a good king worthy of following. Through the love of your people and through how you take care of us. Let your gospel, let your word stand strong today. Let your word, I pray your word was declared strong today. And that we trust you in all that we do. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.